Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out ketoreset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at ketoreset.com. I have a call with some cool dudes. It's a three-way Skype call from three of the nicest locations on the West Coast. We got the Pacific Northwest, Brian McAndrew. We got Lake Tahoe with me, and we got Will down in SoCal. Guys, thanks for uh, getting together. We've had great times hanging out together, uh, doing some filming, recording, promoting. Uh, we just published a wonderful book called Carnivore Cooking for Cool Dudes. And I thought today would be a good time to talk about some of the uh, latest dietary trends, uh, especially carnivore, because it seems to be getting more attention and uh, maybe some uh, confusion and misunderstanding and uh, naysayers. And now we're in the age of uh, the documentary that everyone's telling me to watch because it's it's so important that I watch this documentary about how plants fuel the greatest athletes. So uh, maybe we can kind of uh, give some clarity to the listeners and also some uh, personal experience because we've really had some awakenings lately, all three of us, that we uh, love to talk about in private. So now now we're recording, man. Welcome, Will Schufelt and Brian McAndrew. What's hey. up? What's on, man? Um, first of all, when Will popped onto my Skype screen, uh, I'm like, wow, this guy looks bigger. I ba- barely recognize the, uh, the, the shredded 3.8% body fat guy. So tell us about your, uh, tell us about your update with your, your gym work and your, your diet to put on that muscle. How, how much muscle did you just say? Well, I've gained about 13 pounds since last year. Um, and it's definitely not all muscle, but the goal basically has been, trying to bulk. Um, and I've, I've been focused on that for a while now. I had to change around a lot of strategies with cardio, with fasting, couldn't fast as much, couldn't do as much cardio, had to force feed a little bit. Um, people know that carnivore is extremely satiating, so you really have to manipulate it in certain ways. And I did try a strict carnivore bulk for quite a while. And pretty much what I've arrived at now is essentially the same carnivore diet I was doing, plus the addition of sweet potatoes around workouts, and that's done pretty well for me. So, um, yeah, I've just been gorging my face with that kind of stuff, and uh, I've put on some good weight, and it's a lot more fun in the gym, too. That's the best part. Um, you really are able to move weights with a little bit of extra body fat and water weight, so it feels good. Oh, is that so? So you you go and sit uh, on the bench or get on the squat rack with more body mass, and you can you can lift heavier weight. They say mass moves mass, so it it definitely feels very very different. Um, when I was probably at my leanest, it, it's you you feel like you're being crushed by the weight. You know, um, you you might be able to move it. You might be able to psych yourself up and just tax your central nervous system and move the weight, but. Um, I, I just feel a lot more powerful at this stage, um, and I think a lot of that has to do with just increased body weight and, and gaining a little bit of body fat that kind of helps your um, your leverage on the lift. So squats feel better, bench feels better, deadlift feels better. So it's been fun. It's been really, really fun to kind of flip the script and not focus on whittling myself away to uh, to a skeleton, but kind of building up a little bit. 
So, Brian, you've had a similar experience in recent years. I think, didn't you go back and forth and back? You you were fat chicken face, and then you were down <laughs> to lean and mean, and now I think um, you you start to set some powerlifting goals. So, yeah, what's going on there? Now my strategy is basically like gain-taining. So <clears throat> to not be in a deficit, but either maintain or gain as slowly as possible. I'll do like carbs in the evening, um, maybe like a few potatoes, maybe a little white rice. But the difference between like maintenance calories and like the kind of uh, surplus I want to be in is like so small. It's like that surplus is – it's not hard for me to do that with basically carnivore if I want to. But I just like – I just found that I like kind of like having carbs at night as almost like it, it feels like it scratches like an itch that just eating a big piece of meat, like there's like a itch that's not getting scratched. It's hard to explain. Well, I would I would suppose that's related to your workout output in some way. And Will, you said the same thing, like the sweet potatoes are sort of targeted. So if you're uh, spending a day at the library or in your office editing videos or whatever it is that you do all day up there, uh, you probably might have... Um, different uh, different appetites and different uh, different uh, visions of what what makes you feel good yeah i i definitely don't think um that carbs would be as necessary if i wasn't lifting the way i'm lifting currently and the other thing is on days when i'm running i don't include any carbs um because the running that i'm doing is so low intensity it's very like zone two type stuff that it's it just feels pointless to me. It's like very lipolytic, fat-burning, low-intensity stuff. So I really only include it around the glycolytic, anaerobic, um, higher-intensity stuff that I'm doing. Same, Brian? Yeah, it's also because I'm not eating any other like vegetable or fruit carbs. My daily carbs are still probably under 100, and it's like every few days. But there is, I mean, just to have like versus like a zero-carb diet to have some carbohydrate doesn't need to be a lot. There definitely is just like a cosmetic uh, difference that I think William was kind of talking about too, where even if there's no performance benefit, there's still like your muscles look more full, which is, I don't know, kind of nice. It's kind of fun. Um, what I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> I like that description of it though. It's a cosmetic benefit. It does It does feel that way. Like you, you do get a little bit more water retention in the muscles, which um, some people listening to this might not be interested in that at all, but in terms yeah. of body composition um, – the effect that you're going for, if you know, if you can maintain a certain amount of leanness and force a little bit of water into the muscles, you look more muscular, even if mm-hmm. it's right. Yeah, even if it's just water, it just it it looks better. Uh, but and I mean that we've we've lost ninety percent of the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, but I think um, you know, you guys that are pushing the outer limits, I think it's really important to reflect on. The, the trial and error that's occurred to get to this point. And so for a moment, I want to take the discussion into two different directions. And one of them would be that uh, extremely strict uh, regimen where you're working out and trying to achieve fitness goals, but you're also down in this strict carnivore realm where you're not eating any carbs to speak of. And then uh, uh, to answer on the other direction too, um, since you guys are cranking in the gym, you're at low body fat, you're young, you're, you're energetic. Um, why not double your carb intake? Uh, is there 
any sort of um, downside that you've experienced where you feel better as a human when you're not just slamming snacks all day like most guys in your position in the gym that are at the next weight rack. Uh, they got a half an energy bar in their bag and they're, they're eating that before they get to the parking lot and they're going through their day hitting Jamba Juice and all the things that we're so used to. Um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to sneak in a, a leading question here, but I wonder about that angle too, where you just uh, relax a little bit and end up, uh, throwing more carbs into your diet. Yeah. I mean, one thing I'd say is like for, I think the type of like lifting that we're into both for like, whether it's bodybuilding or just like powerlifting, trying to get stronger, like there's probably some benefits to having some carbs, but there's like not, I don't think there's like a benefit of like carb loading, like a maybe like an endurance athlete, like it's just the kind of work we do isn't that glycolytic. So it's like maybe in a session, you don't, I don't think you burn through that much really? carbohydrate to begin with. I don't think so. I, well, you're I mean, in there for, you're in there for a long duration workout. I know they've done studies and they've looked at like what's actually burned in a session. And it's, you know, it's not that much. Like, I mean, I think people kind of use it as an excuse to eat a lot of <laughs> You Dude, you're, you're you're pissing off the Gatorade Sports Science Institute right now. What about their before, during, and after products? Yeah, I mean, I don't. I mean, it's. I'm not saying like if you want to eat a, a higher carb, you know, primal diet. There's for because you like that kind of food. There, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But to convince yourself like, oh, this higher uh, carbohydrate intake is going to be, you know, giving me some added performance benefit. I don't think there's. Um, I just don't see that. Wow. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with that. I think for the kind of training both of us do, you don't really need to be slamming a lot of carbs. I think just the amount that we're adding just kind of supports you nicely. Um, anything on top of that, I think that it would be a replacement to maybe some dietary fat calories. And I think that there's nothing wrong with that if if your gut is able to tolerate the carbs. And that's that's a big part of the discussion around carnivore. Um, so many of the people doing carnivore, it's mainly a result of they're not able to thrive on carbs, whether it has to do with food addiction or if it's gut issues, autoimmune issues, or even too much choice in your diet. That can be a huge issue as well when you're simply given too much freedom. And if you look at like a traditional uh, keto, or let's say a popular keto diet where there's almond flour here and there, and there's macadamia nuts and dark chocolate. Sometimes for some people, even though that's getting them into ketosis and it's removing sugar and, uh, vegetable oils and so many bad foods, it still might be a little bit too much choice. So for whatever reason you do carnivore, um, you know, I, I think, I think getting rid of some of those carbs can be very, very helpful. And I would agree with Brian that, we're not doing like CrossFit or at least I'm, I'm not doing cross. I'm not doing anything like really intensely glycolytic tons of sprint intervals. It's not like a Muay Thai workout where you're just drenched in sweat and you're burning through, uh, you know, a ton of carbs. It's like you pretty much waddle up to the squat bar and you do your squats for about 30 seconds and then you just stand around for another minute or two. So it's, that's not that intense, you know, it's not uh, like a basketball type workout or anything like that. Well, I think it's important to put in a plug here for 
the, the, the value of that type of training session where you're not depleting and exhausting yourself. And I think so many people out there in the, in the mainstream fitness scene, whatever they're doing, even if they're sitting at home and doing the, the Peloton bike for four days a week or going to the, the gym and doing classes that this type of, uh, fitness protocol is extremely high risk to your health and your hormones and to, uh, even your fat loss goals are going to be challenged because you're going to be ravenous for, uh, for, possibly more carbohydrates than you burned. We have a funny line that's been all the way back in the primal blueprint. I keep uh, trumping it out where, you know, the spinning uh, class, I used to work for spinning, so they did a study and they showed it burned 650 calories in the intense blasting music 40-minute workout. And if you go to Jamba Juice and get a medium Jamba Juice and a health breakfast loaf or whatever they call this this baked good, you're right there at 650 calories just from stopping by on your way out of the gym. And people go in these patterns where they're depleting themselves with these exhausting workouts. The CrossFit scene is known for that. All the positive benefits, mm-hmm. great, good stuff. I know, Brian, you're a certified instructor and been in that world for a while. But uh, when you're in there too frequently and pushing yourself just over that comfortable edge, uh, pretty much at every single workout, you're going to be drifting toward carbohydrate dependency. And then like yeah. Will said earlier in the show, uh, we, we just lost 90% of our listeners. Uh, that might be a huge percentage of them that are working out inappropriately to be able to even contemplate a dietary strategy that's going to get them down into the, the body fat level that they desire and also the, the health level during the day, feeling, feeling energetic and, and uh, clear-headed rather than fried from the workout patterns. One of the things that I love that you and Mark Sisson really expounded upon in the Primal Blueprint books and Primal Endurance, and we also included some of this in the Carnivore Cooking book, was the idea of training at both intensities. You know, you want to you want to do a lot of the low-intensity stuff, lots of walking activity throughout the day, get out and about. Um, or even like with what I do, I I like to do a lot of very low intensity jogging where my heart rate's pretty low. And then on the other hand, you want to train at the complete opposite side of the Mm -hmm. spectrum. You do some sprints, you do some heavy lifting, but it's that little chronic cardio place right in the middle where you're, you're, you know, constantly, uh, burning yourself out with that. And Mark Sisson, I I've seen him write an article once about, uh, chronic lifting where you're pretty much, um, doing like the bodybuilding type split six days a week. And you're getting pump every single workout, and that can really, really start to burn you out as well. So it's kind of getting that rest and recovery and training on both ends of the spectrum, going hard when you're going hard, and then relaxing a little bit on, on the times when you're not. Um, so that's, that's something that I really had to incorporate into my fitness routine, and that actually made keto and carnivore so much easier. Yeah. Uh, when I first started doing keto – Um, I, I was honestly, I was pretty strict about it, but when I got into carnivore, I was doing so much Tabata and hit and all of these things that you think you're supposed to do to deplete muscle glycogen. That was kind of the popular wisdom at the time. If you really want to get into ketosis fast, like crazy and like just burn through all your muscle glycogen. So I would just be doing burpees like there's no tomorrow. And I was doing like the little ropes and I was doing, uh, the, the cycling intervals, um, with the seconds going hard and then seconds uh pedaling slowly i was doing all that kind of stuff and it was so hard to do carnivore because all i wanted to do was go to panda express and have a cheat meal and say okay tomorrow we yeah. start right back on this and we're gonna train as soon as i gave up that style of training and i also started to pay a little more attention to sleep 
um, it became so much easier to do carnivore because you don't have that ravenous, you know, where you're about to just destroy a ton of food, that feeling. So that's, that's definitely something you're training and your diet. There's a huge interplay there. And if you want to make the diet easier, maybe look at some of the things you're doing training wise and sleep wise and see if you can, you can work those in together. Yeah. Like choosing, uh, like a fitness exercise regimen that's not going to make you hungry is probably a good strategy. <laughs> Brian, no, you're like the quote machine, man. I, I, that's why I, I, mean, love- <laughs> I, I mean, that was my exact same experience as well. When I, I mean, I was doing CrossFit and keto, you know, very strict, like high fat, low protein keto. And it was a bad, it was just a bad mix. You know, you, you'd get yeah. so like voraciously hungry and then all you have in the house is, you know, macadamia nuts and you're just going to start pounding macadamia nuts. And it's like, good luck, you know. Well, there's a lot behind that statement because the, you know, triggering of hunger is something that when we're deep into this ancestral movement, uh, you know, many of the people have come from standard American diet. And now we're in a, we're in a realm where we hardly ever feel hungry and people just can't, they, they can't even understand or, or grasp that concept until they start doing the hard work and uh, take that first step of ditching the grains and the sugars and the uh, refined industrial oils, getting those out of the diet, eating those uh, nutrient-dense, highly satiating meals, and then we start to open up to different possibilities. But I think uh, just taking it back a little bit, because you guys are have been so successful with uh, reducing body fat, and we could see Brian's uh, shredded physique on the ketoreset.com, and we could see Will's entire website and, and training program dedicated to that. And it seems like such a, a, a painful and frustrating challenge for so many people, including extreme fitness enthusiasts and extreme diet conscious individuals that shop at the right places and uh, read the books. They haven't read the Cool Dudes book yet because then they'll make it really easy. But uh, people that are really trying, really doing the right thing, but can't seem to get there. So let's let's focus in on that for a little bit. Um, pick it up where you know, Will. You made a couple comments about. Uh, you know, trying to uh, just get things dialed in, but having having difficulty because the the training's wrong or the sleep's wrong. Yeah. So so if we could just give some practical tips to people listening to this, like some real real actionable things to prevent some of that zigzagging and hitting the bumpers all the time. Um, some of the things that have worked for me, and it's all individual, you know, and and case dependent. Some of the things that have really worked for me. I, I stopped doing a ton of high intensity stuff and I focused on lifting heavy weights, mainly compound movements and doing low intensity cardio. If I do cardio plus tons of walking, my, my exercise is about as simple as that. And getting out in the sun is a huge, huge, uh, plus if you can do that. Um, and getting your seven to nine hours of sleep, scheduling that in, uh, as, you know, as important as anything else, if, if you're trying to cram more in and you're trying to sleep deprive and you think you're going to get more output in that way, you're shooting yourself in the foot. So schedule that in because it's extremely important. Now with those things taken care of the things that I found really, really worked for me diet wise. Um, and, and let's say this, this audience, for example, maybe they, they understand that the health aspect of things, because I know primal, uh, the primal blueprint audience is, is really intelligent, but let's say they're, they're focused on body comp and they've been really, really frustrated about that. What works? There's a few things that we know help. One of them is really reducing food variety. 
These mono food diets have been shown to be highly effective. There are people that go on a potato-only diet. They lose tons of weight. People that go on the beef, water, salt diet lose lots of weight. Um, so if you can reduce your food choices, that really helps. Now, if you're going to reduce your food choices, you want to pick the most nutrient-dense food so that you're not uh, you know, maybe ending up nutrient-deprived. So I would put at the top of the list – getting a very quality source of, of beef, whether it is a steak or even if you're going to do ground beef, that's totally fine. But getting quality sources of beef. And then I would add on top of that, if you can do some eggs in there, some pastured eggs, another great thing, that's kind of like a, almost like a vitamin supplement for you with the yolks. And then if you could add on to that, a form of seafood, those that's like the trifecta of carnivore for me. It's like uh, red meat, eggs, and then different forms of seafood, whether it's sardines, salmon, oysters, things like that. And then th those are kind of the bases. And then on top of that, you can add in some different things um, and, and you know, fasting and things like that. But Brian, what's, what's kind of been really effective for you in terms of uh, dialing in the body composition and like answers, results? I'd say like especially – I think a lot of people – I think people like moving from like a the place of like a keto diet um, – some of the benefits of sort of going towards more of a carnivore ish approach is sort of taking that cap off of protein where yeah. I always, I used to feel like guilty for like, Oh, I'm overeating protein. Like I'm, Oh, I'm going over my protein. And I think that's, I think that's a bit of like a misnomer to say, Oh, I'm overeating protein. Cause I mean, just in, intuitively, it always felt better to eat, you know, kind of eat more protein. And so just taking off that limit, um, I think it's sort of an arbitrary limit. I mean, you know, maybe trying to be more ketogenic through just spacing out your meals and not worrying about, oh, am I in ketosis right after eating my meal? You know, it doesn't really matter because I'm full anyway. So why does it matter if I'm <laughs> in ketosis? You know, I want those ketones for when I'm not eating. So I don't, you know, so I have fuel for my brain, but Good uh, one. Yeah, take, yeah, taking the cap off of protein. And then one thing people don't realize, like if they're asking themselves like, oh, why would I not want to eat? plant foods is, uh, especially if with keto, you know, you never eat a plant food. Just, I mean, I shouldn't say never, but most people don't eat vegetables just on their own raw broccoli. You know, you're always, you know, you have to make them taste good. So you're always adding, you know, butter, uh, dressing mayonnaise to make it taste good. And yeah, those things aren't bad. But again, if you're looking for, I guess, just easy to remove calories, if you're, you know, chasing a body comp goal, like, just removing all that stuff, just, you know, you take a big chunk, you know, all these fat calories that you're getting every time you eat a vegetable and you put towards that, you know, put, you replace that with some nutrient dense, you know, something like eggs or sardines or oysters or steak. Um, it's going to be much more satiating and it's going to be a lot less calories. Yeah, Brian, you've hit that point so well in previous shows about just narrowing your choices and reducing the stress in life of, of excess choice. And, and we can extrapolate that into all areas of life where, um, you know, th there's been studies showing that, um, you have, uh, decreased satisfaction with your automobile purchase if you go to the auto mall and you have 11 choices rather than, uh, choosing between two or three. And then when it comes to food, boy, I mean, the, the average listener might be, uh, shaking their head right now going, uh, oh, what are these guys all about talking about re restricting the, the number of foods we can eat? Uh, you know, that's 
one of the great enjoyments of life is to have this varied diet. And isn't that important too? I just saw in a documentary how we have to have varied foods. Uh, but again, if we're just trying not to argue with uh, naysayers too much, but just getting focused on that body composition goal straight up, if you want to get this done once and for all and quit uh, being frustrated and discouraged, uh, it's a really powerful concept to say, okay, I'm going to narrow down my choices and uh, pulling together insights from what both of you guys have said. Uh, by the way, my choices are going to be some of the most nutritious and satiating foods on the planet. Uh, and, and growing beyond those initial keto diet insights when the thing first got popular and everybody thought it was all about stuffing your face with fat so you could make ketones and lose weight. And then uh, all of a sudden it uh, doesn't come out that great when you're, you're getting all your calories from ingested fat rather than burning off stored body fat. So uh, now I think we're getting to what I feel is like the, the real magic of the carnivore movement. Uh, say what you want to say if you disagree with some of the insights or, or think it's crazy. Um, people are, are easily dropping excess body fat because they're not worried about uh, over-consuming dietary fat in the name of keto. Uh, the choices are narrowed into that window of just the, the trifecta, as Will calls it, or whatever you want to say. It's, not, it's still a lot of foods, and it's a lot of enjoyment possible, uh, but you're getting... Uh, talk about that uh, satiety and that protein uh, intake uh, for someone who may not be familiar with those passing insights you made, both of you. Yeah, I, I, Brian absolutely nailed it when he said taking the cap off of protein. That was a huge, huge insight that really is a game changer in the long run. And then the second one is rather than trying to force ketones through ingesting a lot of dietary fat, maybe induce that through spacing your meals out a little bit more, which is genius. I mean, that's, that's one of the major uh, reasons that you want ketones around. You want fuel in between meals so you don't need to be eating so often. Um, so those, both of those are huge. Now with protein and satiety, the, the, one of the major things that I noticed compared to the keto diet is that a slightly higher protein carnivore diet is able to satiate me at fewer calories than a slightly higher fat ketogenic style diet. Um, so to me, that's, that's like a great piece of knowledge because now I can use that as my baseline diet. And mm -hmm. A lot of people listening to this, you know, they might try carnivore, they might experiment with carnivore, and it might not be something that they do for the rest of their lives. That doesn't negate the fact that you can that as a baseline diet for anything else you do. So to this day, um, you know, no matter what I'm doing, beef, eggs, and some form of seafood, that's, that's the base of my diet constantly. And protein is like one of the foundational building blocks there. Um, getting rid of the old mentality that I had when I was doing keto of moderating the protein. And if I would eat too much, I was afraid that, you know, it's just all turning into sugar. And I, I think that point's probably been beaten to death at this point. But, um, but I, I think just not being afraid of protein, it, that's a major, major thing. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the direction I've headed it, uh, in with it now. And it's really made things a lot more simple for me. Something, uh, interesting that Will said was that he, you know, he observed that he basically was more satisfied, like more satiated, but with like the same amount of or a lower amount of calories and sort of you can say what you will about like uh, about tracking, you know, you know, there's good things and bad things about tracking. But one good exercise anyone can do is like sort of set calories as like a constant and then experiment, you know, try different things at like maybe 
uh, a little bit lower daily calorie count than you think you could sustain and see like, well, what kind of diet can I put together that makes this easy? Like that makes this not, you know, not a big challenge to do, you know, so you set your calories at say, I mean, it would depend on the person, but you set it at 1800 and you try different meal frequencies, different, you know, sort of different protein intakes. And you see what, what foods, like what things make this easy, make this effortless. And I think that's definitely an exercise. Like, I mean, I've found sort of the same thing basically through experimentation. Yeah. I guess lowering insulin would be the, the overriding answer there. And you can, you can get by on a calorie deficit diet if you just uh, don't don't spike insulin and, and don't spike appetite. Remember we were talking, Brian, when we were first getting into the the keto thing and doing some numbers and measuring. Um, could could you eat one Brussels sprout per hour, twenty four hours a day, and still be in ketosis? You know, we're wondering all these wondering all these things out loud. But it, it's getting. Uh, what I like about both you guys is you know you're trying to uh, keep it simple. And not so regimented where you get, uh, stressed out, uh, about pulling numbers and p- pricking your blood and, uh, mm-hmm. micromanaging your meals. And I know, uh, all three of us in real life, and I think we conveyed some of this in the book too, that we, we, uh, kind of have a fluid approach where, um, you might pop onto Will's Instagram and there he is at some, uh, diner having his cheat day and there's stuff in the picture that's not exactly carnivore. Um, and you know, the same for me. I've talked about a lot on, on my own podcasts about different experimentation and just being more intuitive and not, uh, not pigeonholing myself into some category, but, I guess to uh, transition the discussion uh, to the the topic of carnivore, um, this is a very new thing, and it's it, you know it's it's intrigued us so much so that uh, it seems like our diets are maybe forever altered from uh, what they were beforehand. So maybe uh, we could each speak a little bit how how you first became acquainted with this concept and then started to try it, and uh, what's led you to this point where you are today. Um, well, for me, I first got acquainted with the whole carnivore thing coming off of keto. So I was basically, it was after like three and a half years of doing this whole foods vegan diet. And, um, just my, my health was not where I wanted it to be. My body comp wasn't, my energy wasn't, I was hungry all the time. And I was pretty much, you know, if I allowed myself to eat until I was satiated, I would end up fat, you know, like I, I could just destroy food. So I knew that something was wrong because I was never a big eater in the past. Besides that, did you have any complaints about your vegan uh, three years of? <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, besides all those complaints, everything else was great. Yeah, <laughs> you were just hungry, miserable, uh, not at the right body comp, not performing well. Okay. Anyway, so you were ready for a change. But besides that, I was a morally righteous human being, <laughs> better than everyone else. Um, <laughs> no, besides that, yeah, like I, I was ready for a change. I, I found the keto diet, and it checked almost every box off for me except the body comp side of things. I just wasn't able to nail my gym workouts and my body comp. So I started searching around, and you think, well, what's better than 30 grams of net carbs a day? How about zero? And then you find out about these – uh, zero carb Zen and Principia Carnivora and all of these different groups. So it was just kind of like online chatter at the time. And I was reading a lot of people's accounts 
Um, and I remember this was like the first uh, month Sean Baker was was doing it, and everybody would kind of tweet about how nobody had scurvy yet. So there was this whole like challenge going on. And, you know, and then that's when things blew up for us. There was the the pivotal moment where Sean Baker went on Joe Rogan. And um, I, I think that brought a lot of awareness to the movement. But for me, like when I started it, I was still doing pretty high fat. There was a lot of butter. There were a ton of egg yolks. I was eating a lot of fat, a lot of short ribs in a crock pot, things like that. Um, and I felt good. And I liked I liked uh, the simplicity of it. But it was finally – I was actually reading Ted Naiman's con, uh, content, and I thought, you know what? What if I combine these two approaches? What if I up the protein and dial back a little bit on the fat, and then I keep it carnivore? And that's when everything clicked for me um, with the changes to my training. So that's been the stuff that's been super, super helpful to me, and I'm still doing all of that to this day. Uh, you know, Now with my bulking goal, I'm, I'm including a little bit of carbs, but it's, it's still pretty much the same foundation. Brian, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I I sort of, uh, you know, I've, I've always just enjoyed, you know, following this space, this whole primal keto carnivore space. And it's sort of the same trajectory that Will described was sort of how the movement grew and just being aware of it. Um, you know, and I think a lot of people, when they hear about these things, they just want to try it for themselves. Um, and I think what, I mean, what drew me towards it was sort of like, I guess, uh, just being like a minimalist, like, you know, if I don't need these, if I don't need vegetables, if I don't need these things, like, why am I, why am I putting them in there? Um, and sort of just that simplicity and that almost minimalist take. Um, and also like, uh, you know, I'm, I've described before, I'm very like frugal, uh, and I've kind of feel like vegetables are sort of a ripoff for what they are, you know, especially (laughs) with a lot of the, you know, the arguments being made, um, I'm not an expert, you know, I'm not a scientist, so I just kind of follow where all this conversation is going, but I'm definitely more on the side of maybe plants aren't necessary versus like, oh, these are poisonous, toxic, at least for me. I mean, it's probably very individual, but um, yeah, I've just taken sort of that dismissive view of plant foods. Um, I'll eat them if they're served to me, but generally I don't shop for them. I don't spend my hard-earned money on them um, besides, you know, maybe some something that I guess you're looking at. It's weird. Like I feel like a couple of years ago, people were talking about, you know, plants are valuable for everything except like the glucose. You want all the nutrients, but you don't want the glucose. Now it's like, I look at plant foods as I just want the glucose and I don't want anything else. You know, I don't want all the other stuff. So it's, it's weird. It's, I mean, it's an ongoing, I mean, it's just interesting to follow the, the trajectory of this whole space. Yeah, nowadays I peel the sweet potatoes, and if I'm going to eat rice, I'm going to eat white rice. Yeah. Funny, and we're completely trying to avoid everything else in the plant. Which is bizarre if you think about it. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, just being the, you know, I mean, honestly, eating this way, I, I do, I feel like if I compare myself now to like a couple of years ago, I do I do feel better. I feel like my digestion's better. Uh, I think a lot of people are, I mean, I remember looking back a couple of years ago, I was in denial about, you know, I was having not so great bowel movements and I was like, Oh, but I'm doing great. I'm doing keto. And I can compare now. It's like, it's way better. Yeah. I think we're so, we're so accustomed to, uh, gas bloating, digestive pain, 
uh, transient abdominal pain, all these things that we seem or normal, uh, you know, I- irregular or inefficient elimination, all these things that everyone deals with their whole life. Um, you know, Mark wrote about it in the first primal blueprint that he planned his running routes by bathroom locations. No joke. Like, you know, this is a great eight mile loop because at mile four, there's a bathroom and there's another one at mile seven. And boy, you know, it starts to become the norm such that we don't even reflect on how, how ridiculous that is. Same with having to eat regular meals to sustain energy. I mean, we've been programmed mm-hmm. like that our entire lives. So this is part of life. And now we're awakening to the idea that not only is it um, unnecessary, it could actually be bad. And back to that, uh, that, that plant insight where, um, we're now, uh, pr- proposing that not only are they not, uh, the ultimate form of nutrition and health, they might not even be necessary and they might even be unhealthy to certain people. Um, that's, that's a pretty heavy thing to reflect upon. Mm-hmm. I think, I think Brian nailed it with, um, with the way that he views plants. It, it's just, it's not really worth your money to load up on those. And I, I take the same stance where I don't think that they're necessarily out to get us and they're, that they're completely toxic. I think that um, you know, maybe it's a U-shaped curve and you just shouldn't base your whole diet around them. And if you want to have them occasionally and you do fine with those, that's great. Um, and some people definitely don't do fine with those and for them, they should definitely stay away from them. But it's, it's really not something that you need to go out of your way to make sure that you're having your kale and Brussels sprouts and, uh, you know, leafy greens and things like that. So to me, it's, it's sort of like a, an afterthought and it's always been that way. I never really knew why I had to include them when I was doing keto and I had a huge plate of, of like steak and bacon and some eggs. I'd be like, Oh, I should probably make a little salad on the side or something. I I don't know why I don't really want it, but I should probably make that. So it's just kind of simplified my view of nutrition. Now there's something that I'm kind of interested in, uh, for all of us three, do you uh, take any supplements or are there any sort of non-food products that you take on a daily basis, whether it's capsules or protein powder or anything like that, uh, omega-3s? I do a lot of uh, the collagen uh, peptides like gelatin or collagen just because of my food choices. I know I don't get a lot of those things normally. Um, so I try to hit like 40 grams of collagen a day. And mostly I do that because I, I do get it, like I get it free through, you know, Primal. Um, so I don't know if I would do that if I, if I had to pay for it. I'd probably just do like gelatin or something. <laughs> it's, um, it's not, I mean, these are, they're not that expensive though. And I think um, when we're talking to a health enthusiast that's listening to the podcast, um, you know, we said don't, don't waste your money on vegetables. But even if they were free, I think the, the important takeaway point there is that, they, they might, well, we know there's a category of people where they're most definitely hurting you, uh, either severely or mildly. So, you know, it behooves anyone. And I, we did a good job talking about this in the book and, and trying to be, um, you know, level headed about the presentation of carnivore saying, you know, uh, if you want to try it for a few weeks and see if you have remarkable, uh, improvement in digestive issues, elimination, energy, things like that, you may be one of those people that are reactive to plants. And there's a lot of people out there in that category. 
category because their their gut lining has been damaged by standard American diet, and now they're sensitive to everything. And they're spending $800 on these food sensitivity tests, which are now being called into question about whether they're just shooting in the dark or not. Um, instead of just doing a, a strict elimina- elimination diet and, and testing your blood before and after. So, you know, when I when I sit down to Christmas dinner with extended family members and the, the, the debate occurs about the, the new documentary, um, you know, it, it's 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 a nice way to transition into another topic by saying, well, you know, go ahead and try it. And if your if your blood values get trashed from a three week carnivore experiment, you can conclude it didn't work for you. But what we have at meatheals.com and other resources are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people now uh, that have had remarkable turnarounds, especially in these lifelong complaints of nonsense happening with the digestive tract. Uh, but also to um, to kind of uh, strengthen that that statement or that argument about whether you need plants or not, I believe it's pretty much indisputed that fasting will give you the greatest metabolic, hormonal, and immune protection benefits, uh, more so than any uh, Jamba Juice concoction or acai bowl or giant bowl of kale. So if we start the discussion from there, knowing that if I just skip breakfast today and wait until 12 noon to choose whatever it is I want to eat, and if I'm in deep in the vegan scene and I'm going to have a big bowl of kale and brown rice and lentil soup, okay, let's go our merry way. But we we can pretty much agree. I don't know. You guys tell me if you hear anyone saying that fasting is, is, not, that, is not that beneficial. We know what's going on in the body. And the body works better when it's in a fasted state. If we can sustain that fasted state without a stress response, which most people happen to fall into because they're carb dependent. Yeah, you, you should you should look at the things that make fasting difficult for you. If if you're not sleeping enough, or if you're not consuming enough calories, or if you're uh, you know maybe training too much, and it becomes really difficult for you to fast to the point where it might be a negative stressor in your life. Um, then maybe you want to focus on some of the other things and mitigate those. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think fasting is a really really good state for the body to be in. Um, you know, when when we talk about detoxes and celery juice and things like that, I think just fasting is probably the right way to go. So to me, that's that's a daily part of my routine. That's something that I do on a daily basis. I see Brian drinking a cup of coffee, and I've got mine right here. Um, so that's. That's usually one of the little things that kind of helps me get through the fast. And I'll usually, and I see, <laughs> that's not coffee. What is that? Macadamia nut oil from Hawaii. I'm pantomiming Ooh. on the screen. I'm, I'm having a couple tablespoons of this. Hey, anything goes. Yeah. It was either that or a shot of vodka. I couldn't tell. That's what I thought. It was one of those little tiny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, sorry, guys. I'm training for the Olympics. I, I, don't, I don't drink and I, I go to sleep early every night. <laughs> whatever gets you through the fast <laughs> whatever sport gets me in the olympics too hopefully it's speed golf we'll, we'll see i love that <laughs> um but yeah so so that's that's kind of the approach that i take and then part of the thing that i do when i'm fasting is definitely um i incorporate some salt and some electrolytes and i find that that helps um i like to sip on those through my workout as well so i'll usually do a little electrolyte mix and some water and then also throw some uh some real salt in there shake that up and drink that as I'm training. Um, so that's the other thing I like to pay attention to as I'm fasting. Yeah. Back to your 
question about supplements, and I've been in the game for a long time, so I'm not an unbiased observer, uh, dating back to my days as a triathlete when we were, we were obligated to consume so many calories and try to meet our nutritional needs while training five to six hours a day. We were slamming all kinds of stuff, and it can definitely get out of hand, and you can definitely lose sight of the bigger picture, which is uh, the foundation of a healthy diet, and then uh, the, the word supplement is just that. It's supplementing your healthy eating habits, but I think it's really important to uh, consider your needs, especially if you have fitness goals, because we're not going to be perfect every day. And the stress that we're faced with today, uh, the nonstop digital stimulation, uh, the excess artificial light after dark, all these things that our ancestral uh, peoples didn't have to deal with. And so when we're just uh, sitting down and thinking that uh, we can't get an edge from from you know modern advancements, I think we're going to uh, miss some potential improvement. And so uh, yeah, I'm taking of course, the ancestral supplements because I'm uh, involved with those guys and I, I'm working on a new product called MoFo, uh, which is for male optimization, testosterone boosting. And I believe all these things can can give you uh, protection more so than some secret edge where you're going to feel 5% stronger and you're going to lift more weight in the gym because you just sprayed something up your nose or swallowed something in your drink. And I think that's where we get a turnoff uh, when we're talking about supplements is people going around touting that now they're their superstars in bed or in the gym or whatever. So what I'm looking for is mainly uh, insurance policy protection and covering my bases that I might not be doing every single day at every single meal, or I'm you know tipping over the scale of stress-rest balance because I'm working hard, uh, exercising too hard, whatever it is that's uh, got me at this particular point in time. Yeah, I want to have a little a little edge, and uh, maybe uh, swallowing pills is going to give me a psychological like a placebo boost as well as what the good stuff that's inside there. I, I like that. I, I do honestly, uh, one of the things I like to do is a protein shake where it kind of includes some of the things I might miss otherwise. So mm-hmm. um, I do this protein shake where it's a whey protein isolate. So I'm getting a little bit of calcium from that. There's the insulin spike. Um, I do collagen hydrolysate in there. So that's how I'm getting my collagen in like Brian. And then I'll also throw in six egg yolks. Because I, I would find, honestly, I like steak so much that I just wouldn't want to really make eggs, and I would end up eating so much steak. And I thought, you know, I need these yolks. Um, there's a lot of nutrition in them. So I throw in some egg yolks in there, and then I also throw in a little bit of salt, and it's delicious. It's it's honestly like this really smooth, uh, caramelly type thing. Obviously, the whey protein is kind of sweetened by some stevia and stuff, um, but it's it's a really, really good way to get in some extra protein. And I do find that I feel stronger on the days when I've taken, I've done that protein supplement the day before. Um, Anytime I kind of skip that, I don't feel as strong in the gym the next day. So I do find that it's like a little bit of a performance booster for me. Uh, speaking of fasting, I want to ask you guys, this might be a, a, a personal question that I'm trying to figure out for my own uh, workout optimization, but are there any um, concerns that you have pairing fasting with ambitious fitness goals and trying to recover from those goals? Um, for me, it's like I don't work out fasted, but usually like I try to sandwich my workout between – I usually eat twice a day, so I usually try to sandwich my workout somewhere in the middle there um, and not necessarily like right before or right after. So there might be um, – like I might work out like four, 
four or five hours after I'd eaten. And so some people might say, oh, that's, you know, you're, that's still like you haven't eaten a meal close to your workout. But I think people really underestimate the sort of digestion times of like mixed meals. You know, every time people are looking at like, oh, how long does, you know, that protein spike from your meal, like how long does it last? Like they're always looking at powders. And so I, I eat breakfast and I imagine like I'm probably getting a slow drip of protein probably all day. You know, like the same way someone would think about taking like their amino acid drink. You know, I think I'm getting a drip, drip, drip all day from just eating a big protein breakfast. And so I just sandwich my workout somewhere in the middle of the day and then I'll eat a normal dinner. But I don't do any uh, anything fancy in regards to like, you know, fasting or eating ver- like in regards to my workout. I think there is maybe like a benefit to like I think this style of eating sort of trends towards like one or two meals a day and sort of rather than eat a whole other meal, it does make sense just to have like one more like pulsatile spike of protein, you know, because they kind of show that like the whatever the muscle protein res- synthesis response from like a meal is pulsatile. So there might be, even though you, you're already like hitting your probably maximum amount of protein you're getting in the day with your food, just having like a third spike, it might be like beneficial the way, you know, Will's doing. Wow. You didn't even mention carbs, but you're really concerned, I guess, is this important for your gain-taining strategy to uh, make sure that there's some protein circulating? Uh, It's just, I mean, it's just, I'm probably, I imagine I'm probably fine with just my overall protein intake and like eating two meals a day. And I'd say for most people, like, I wouldn't like worry if you're doing that, you know, just that it's just like, I guess that like back of my mind, OCD, am I doing everything, you know, maximizing what I could be doing? Just having that third protein spike is just like, oh, I'll just cover off on my bases. It's not going to hurt me really if I have, you know, those calories to play with. And you're pretty much not concerned about your carb supply relating to diet, your glycogen tanks are more or less full or close to full just because you're fat adapted and you have a few carbs here and there over the the course of a week. Exactly. Like as long as I don't feel like it's ever really a limiting factor, but just to sort of cover off, I think if you're eating, even eating some carbs, like either every couple days, I mean, Vince Duranda, like I think his protocol for like his, uh, he had he was like the original like steak and egg only diet, but his protocol was to eat a high carb meal every third or fourth day, and he just came upon that you know intuitively before people are talking about this. But I think that's sort of the right approach is like you don't need carbs every day, but as long as you're throwing them in there, both from like that cosmetic benefit and you know you're just kind of topping yourself off every few days. But like what we were talking about earlier, like the workout itself doesn't burn through that much glycogen. So yeah, I'm never really worried like, oh, am I not, am I not going to have anything there? Uh, Will, you have those uh, celebration meals that you uh, were known for uh, and, and, you know, freely communicating uh, how you enjoyed those and uh, possibly played an important role in just you keeping aligned with everything. Talk about that a little. Yeah, I I found those to be be really helpful for me Um, because I would, the way that I was approaching carnivore when I was focused on shredding and things like that, it was very, very strict. It was a lot of fasting, a lot of training, and uh, pretty high protein, moderate fat, low carb. And you do that for long enough, and your testosterone is going to tank. 
you know, you're, you're in this caloric deficit, you're training super hard. Um, and at the time, you know, sleep was an afterthought for me as well. So you do that for long enough, your testosterone tanks, you bring in this really pretty high calorie, high, high carb meal. And, um, it really calms your body down. You know, if you're eating really bad foods, like if you get the greasiest takeout, it's, it, yeah, it's going to bring some inflammation and you're going to be bloated and your stomach is going to be killing you. But um, if you're just bringing in a ton of glucose, like we were talking about white rice and sweet potatoes, things like that, um, it's really going to calm your body down. The cortisol will drop. The water weight will kind of get flushed out um, and it'll go into your muscles. So you'll actually – you'll feel pretty good. Um, I found that that strategy worked really well for me. With what I'm doing now, I don't really have room for celebration meals that much. Um, because I am having the carbs, um, more frequently. And then I'm also eating more in general. So if I threw in uh, a bunch of celebration meals, I love to call them cheat meals just cause I don't want to ever make myself feel too good about them. You know, <laughs> people talk about that. They're like, Oh, I'm, negative. Um, I'm like, I know that's the point. I don't want to. <laughs> oh man, you got me there. Cause I'm, uh, I, I've, I've, I've said that I'm not a big fan of that word. And then, uh, you know, you want to have a diet that you enjoy all the time, but that's powerful, dude. I'm going to give you three points for that. You're right. You call it a freaking cheat meal because you're, you're a, uh, you're a sorry ass who's going and eating some crappy food. Tomorrow you'll be a better person. Oh, I love it. I need to feel a little ashamed of those. Days, I love so it. Good. I love it. Yeah, get a conscience, man. We're we're a bunch of gluttons. We're the we're the fattest population in the history of the human race today in in Western world, the developed nations. So we got to have a little bit of conscience back into it. It's you know the, the entire the entire store is a cheat meal basically when you walk into a supermarket. That's you know um, one of the things that I that I found really powerful with carnivore was the easier you can make this diet on yourself the more long-term it can be. So, you know, nowadays when I'm making meals that have, um, a bunch of ground beef and some shredded cheese on them, and maybe even these, uh, these little hot dog links that I get sometimes, um, I'm just focused on different animal foods that I can get and bringing those in. You can make such a delicious meal with that. And then something I do, and that we include some of these recipes in the book, and I know Brian does this as well, is like, Throwing on some uh, some primal kitchen steak sauce or things like that really just makes the diet easy. Um, so I, I guess with what we're doing, it's really just a meat based diet, and that's kind of what we're focused on because the more meat you can bring in, it's going to crowd out the bad stuff and it's going to bring like this influx of nutrients. So for me, I'm more concerned about meat being a nutritious, um, you know, the the foundational piece of my diet rather than uh, trying to keep out a ton of plants. But by doing that, I am keeping out a ton of plants. But for me, it's just like meat is so nutritious. It's it's fueling my workouts. It's helping me build muscle. I feel so much better eating it. It's delicious. Um, so I'm just like, how can I stick to this style of dieting? And if I make it too hard on myself, if it's just a plain steak with just a little bit of salt on it, um, that, you know, that that gets a little old after a while. And I, I think people, I mean, there's a lot of people who are coming to this, like maybe they do have autoimmune issues, but there's a lot of people who I think are like us who are just more doing it for like the simplicity and they want to be more meat based. And they're not really like asking themselves, well, why aren't I including a little bit of, you know, primal kitchen ketchup or a little bit of, you know, things like onions and garlic, which add a lot of flavor and, 
you know, are probably pretty well tolerated by most people. And just, you know, little things like plant foods for like flavor and enjoyment versus, you know, just to make the diet a little bit more interesting. I mean, it's one thing if, yeah, these things are making you sick, but if you are kind of more like us and you're more just coming at this thing from like a lifestyle, uh, lifestyle reasons. And yeah, like just these little, like, like for me adding like a, my favorite food used to be like carne asada tacos. So like the little diced onion and cilantro, like just adding that to a meal, diced onion and cilantro, like, and a little uh, lime juice, like gives me the sort of sensation satisfaction of those carne asada tacos, but I'm just putting it with steak. You know, and the lime juice probably helps prevent that scurvy. Other- <laughs> there you go. My, my vitamin C. Well, what's also uh, been funny for me to uh, notice in my in my trend in this direction, uh, and and this is thanks to Dr. Paul Saldino talking about those plant antigens and the potential concerns that we have. Um, you know, the superstars of the plant community that we've been really trying to emphasize. Some of those are potentially the most offensive with the most um, you know reactivity. And then uh, when you take fruit on the other end of the spectrum, the final offering of the plant is the least offensible. The fruit, the the blackberry bush doesn't care that you pick the blackberry off. It has spikes on the the stem because it doesn't want anyone to mess with it. Uh, so I've been eating uh, more fruit and fewer vegetables uh, in, let's say, the past year since I first got exposed to carnivore. And uh, that's kind of a flip-flop from the previous 10 years when uh, I got acquainted with uh, primal and ancestral eating, where the fruit was the most, you know, had the most sugar. You really want to tone that down. But of course, you want to fill your your plate and my, my giant stir-fry pan with vegetables every single day to be a healthy person. So it's kind of come... Uh, come full spectrum, and uh, I don't know what to say about that for people that have uh, you know read the the books that were published three years ago, seven years ago, ten years ago. It seems like a constant quest, uh, but just to avoid any controversy or any uh, negativity, I think it's also important to reflect how the the common ground that we have. It's really important to respect and realize that in, in most of this conversation has been talking about nuance and optimization. We're not talking about Seven Eleven Slurpees and uh, you know spending Halloween uh, reaching for little candies that we we gave out at our house or they're on the front desk at the at the office. So you know we all want to progress toward uh, rejecting the the d- destructive effects of you know modern food supply and do something better with our lives. So. Hence, the carnivore cooking for cool dudes is now available at a bookstore near you. And you guys were talking about how fun and delicious it is. Oh my gosh. I mean, some of these recipes, you know, we were a collaborative effort here and looking through some of the stuff that, that you guys did. And I tried out. Oh my gosh. Maybe, maybe you could, uh, throw up a couple of your, your favorites. Uh, I'm really fan of, uh, sardines and sun dried, which is so easy and simple. That's pretty much all I need to do to describe it. And it goes for a fantastic breakfast that'll sustain you for hours. But, uh, as we close here, maybe you can, uh, tout some of your favorite go-to meals. I mean, I think for the cookbook, some of my favorite ones were just like combinations that I wouldn't have ever thought of, but like are sort of elegant solutions. Cause I don't like, uh, I'm big on like the smoked oysters, the canned smoked oysters, but I don't love their texture. So one of the recipes is uh, deviled, uh, like oyster eggs where you basically mash up the, uh, canned oysters with the egg yolk, make little deviled eggs and they taste good. You don't have the weird oystery texture. 
Um, but just like kind of uh, simple things like that, but things you would have never thought of are sort of my favorite recipes from the book. Yeah. Honestly, with the recipes, I feel like we actually tried to include what we really do. And I think that that's helpful for people rather than these like kind of idealistic nose to tail perfect meals. Um, like some of the ones I included in there where it's like mustard seared burger patties and then I have some cottage cheese on the side. Like that's what I actually eat and it's delicious. And just having those kind of simple options in there, you can kind of add that to the rotating menu in your mind where you can have these options. Um, and it's just simple, simple stuff, but it's really, really good. Um, yeah, you were mentioning the oysters. I don't know why we're so into oysters, but, um, like that's, that's a staple for me. And I included one in there where I talked about how it's like the ultimate aphrodisiac meal. So it's steak and oysters, Uh, zinc, it's going to boost your testosterone and it might boost some other things. So that was, that's another one of those favorite meals of mine. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of really, really good options in there. Basically what you guys are saying is it's, is it's a must read for 2020. Pretty much. It must do. I I think honestly, for people listening to this, if you haven't tried a carnivore style of dieting and perhaps you've been more involved in the primal paleo scene or you've even made the leap into carnivore, um, trying carnivore, so many people have found pronounced benefits from simply cutting out some of the plants and the carbs. If you just give it a shot for, let's say, maybe a month and see how you feel, there could be some lasting carryover for you for the rest of your life. There might be a few things that you discover about the way that you feel um, because that's that's definitely what it's been for me. Had I not done this, I wouldn't have known that this is kind of like my my basic style of eating now. I think probably for the rest of my life, I feel incredible on this. So it's definitely something to try. I would recommend for 2020. Cool dudes. Thanks for being on the show. Fantastic. Will Schufeld, Brian McAndrew. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hi, Brad Kearns here with something different than a stiff commercial script message. I want to give you an authentic endorsement for one of my favorite supplements of all time. It's called Adaptogenic Calm. used to be called Primal Calm, and the key ingredient in this formula is called Phosphatidylserine, or PS. And this agent has been shown in hundreds of studies to blunt the catabolic effects of the stress hormone cortisol in the bloodstream that's released in response to all forms of life stress whether it's a series of difficult workouts, extensive jet travel, personal stress of any kind. We're constantly triggering the fight-or-flight mode in modern life. And when people say, hey, you should take a chill pill, this really is a chill pill. Because when you consume an appropriate amount of phosphatidylserine and the other supportive ingredients that have been known to have a calming effect on the central nervous system, things like magnesium, L-theanine, magnolia bark, and rhodiola, you will get a calming effect. It's not like a stimulant product that makes you feel more energy and have a better workout but instead this sort of takes the edge off of that stress buzz where you feel that foggy brain function maybe a little shaky and finally fried at the end of a busy stressful day this stuff will help you clear your bloodstream from those catabolic stress hormones before they can do the damage so i like to take significant quantities of it in and around stressful events such as jet travel or in those heavy training cycles when you're really pushing your body and trying so hard not to fall into that overtraining 
overstress, foggy brain function spiral downward. That's right, phosphatidylserine has also been shown to enhance cognitive function. It's commonly used in Europe on cognitive decline patients. And you can make that connection between when you're frazzled and overstressed and how your brain doesn't work quite as well. So this is a brain function enhancing, stress hormone reducing, secret weapon, adaptogenic calm. Look for it on primalblueprint.com.